4 o'clock on a Tuesday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yahoo! Welcome, one and all. Today, we're doing How to Make It in the Music Business again with my dear friend and special guest, Mr. Rob Shirelli. All right. Let me double check, make sure that we are actually on the air today and everything is going well. Uh And there we are. Okay, we are good to go. Yay, way better than yesterday. Uh, First of all, I want to give my apologies to everybody that was tuned in yesterday. The only thing we could figure is it was YouTube. We get this like three times a year where stuff just happens with bandwidth. It was so bad yesterday that when I tried to log back in to get into the chat to tell you guys to go home and have some dinner, um, I couldn't even get back in. So we just totally lost on this end. There was nothing we could do about it. But we're back, and thank God Rob made himself uh, available two days in a row. And I got to tell you, he's a busy guy because right before we went on the air yesterday, he's the only guy I know in my entire life who conducts business in Ghana, Africa. Oops hit my microphone so wow yeah that's impressive rob <laughs> I mean, it's not peoria <laughs> not really you know <laughs> anyway getting smaller my friend it, it really is so i just want to tell these guys because i know that you're really humble and you don't like you know you don't like when i read the full thing but rob is multi-grammy award-winning mix engineer producer musician published author with over 25 years of experience more like 30 probably uh, he's played a vital role in creating over 100 gold and platinum albums and motion picture soundtracks, including numerous Grammys, yeah, which is four. Um, so the reason that I've got Rob on the show today, other than the fact that he's about the closest friend I've got, I think, other than my wife, and he actually likes me better than my wife. <laughs> Sorry, Deb, if you're watching. Um that's great. That's great. <laughs> Rob and I never put demands on each other. It's a very no. Uh, <laughs> no. no. That's great. Anyway, Rob and I were on like a two and a half hour conversation the other night. Um, and we're yeah. talking about why some people make it and some people don't. And I thought, you know, I haven't had him on the show for a while, and I think this would make a great topic. So he agreed to talk with me about it. So um, let's see. Oh, I I didn't prep you for this. I, I really didn't prep him at all. Uh, but when I think back to meeting Rob, which was a very long time ago, I lived and worked in New York, or actually I lived in New Jersey. I was working in New York City at a studio called Howard Schwartz Recording, which was on the 19th floor of the Gray Bar Building, right above Grand Central Station. And one day this young kid walks in and he goes, I, I want to record a record here uh, or some demos. You know how I found you? Uh, yellow Pages? <laughs> <laughs> yellow Pages. <laughs> you did? I ordered a New York version of the Yellow Page and sent it to my house. <laughs> I'm like, I guess, you know, bam. I was being facetious. I thought it was because I was so incredibly famous at the time. Well, I'm glad you found me in the Yellow Pages. Or well, found you were. I just didn't, but that's how I found you. <laughs> I didn't know that. Anyway, yeah. uh, so 
This young man shows up. Uh, I'm sitting in my office about 15, 20 feet away from the lobby. And as I remember it, I hear this voice going, is Michael Lasko here? And I get up out of my chair, walk out to the reception desk. Hi, how you doing? He goes, uh, hi, my name's Rob. I'm from Boston. Um, I saved up some money and I want to make some demos. And I said, uh, you know, take your money and go home, kid, or something like that. This is not a wise investment. It's so many words. Anyway, I finally agreed because he was so unbelievably determined to do this project. And do you folks know, if you want to hear what dedication is, he would get on People Express Airlines. 19 bucks, Boston, uh, Logan to, to uh, Newark. Newark. That's right. He would get on the plane with his entire drum kit in the trap cases. And, and a guitar and a bass. Right. Those, so he had all this stuff. I mean, he had his kick drum, his snare drum, his tom-tom, everything. Um, and, wow, speaking of yellow, I'm turning yellow. There I go. Anyway, he would get into the Port Authority, which is on the west side of Manhattan, come off, the, he would get on the airplane, get on a bus, take about a 40-minute bus ride into New York City, get off the bus in one of the most dangerous buildings you can be in in New York City, and then push this load of stuff on its casters across the entirety of Manhattan to go from the west side to the east side, and then come up 19 stories in an elevator to work with me on this project. And when we were done at the end of the night, he would take that stuff and go back to Boston with it and then come back again four or five days later and do it all over again. So if you, know, you ever... funny. I didn't realize, you know, what a young person is capable of doing. You know, <laughs> you look back at it and I don't know if it's just, you know, stupidity or... Yeah. I don't know the right word for it, but, you know... Stupidity? That, that, that's true. Stupidity yeah. that led to dogged determination and actually showed your true colors because part of the reason that I kept working with you is I thought, I can't let this kid down, man. If he's yeah. pushing this stuff, coming all the way from Boston on an airplane, on a bus, and then pushing it across like eight blocks, city blocks of Manhattan, you could have been killed in the Port Authority or you could have easily been mugged. By <laughs> yeah, but some... I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> And I didn't I, tell I, you because you you were a paying customer, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know I could give. I didn't know it was dangerous. Yeah, I had oh, no idea. Man. I'm just you know whatever. I you know this is just it's funny. Yeah, it was dangerous. That was fun. Yeah, and then fun and then as we grew closer and we were making real progress, I started flying up to Boston. I would finish work at six o'clock in Manhattan take a bus out to Newark Airport, get on a flight at 7.30. Rob, Rob would pick me up at Logan Airport. We'd go grab a sandwich. Um, and then we were working in the studio where the cars did all their records. They actually owned it. It was called Synchro Sound, right? That's right. Synchro Sound Studios on Newbury Street, right across from E. Wurlitzer in those days. Yep. I remember that. I did not like that room. I remember the control room looked down into the studio, right? That well, was, was a weird room, you know. But we got it done, you know, yeah. we got it done. We did. Uh, we had fun working together. But as I've said before on the show, it was kind of like when you have a kid and you can see certain personality traits in your kid, even when they're six months old or two years old, and they grow into those personality traits. 
I could see that in Rob. Um, and one of the traits that I saw was every time I moved an equalizer one click, Rob would stick his head over my shoulder and go, why'd you do that? And if I added, you know, like adjusted a reverb send, Rob go, why'd you, what were you doing there? Why'd you do that? And he asked questions about everything. At first I thought he was a pain in the butt, but then I realized, no, he's just a kid that wants to understand why everything is happening. Part of what a lot of my professional engineer brethren did, and people probably still do, is they love the smoke and mirrors aspect. It's magical when you sit down in front of a massive recording console and you're tweaking and hitting and moving and people are watching going, ooh, ah, Rob and I know it's really just like adjusting 48 stereos because it's just bass, treble, mid-range, pan left, pan right, add reverb, add delay, and you're done, right? Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> and let's wrap the show right there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so now I've told you the story about Rob's dedication. But then, years okay, later, Prof let's go on to something interesting. This is, I can't no, take it anymore. This is no, this. Let me just tell this part because people have asked uh, me this before. I know Rob hates talking about himself, but you know, um, yeah, suck it up, Rob. <laughs> I get a call one day. And it's Rob, and he goes, hey, you remember me? It's Rob Shirelli. I'm at LAX. I'm moving out here. Uh, I'm at the car rental place. Can I take you to lunch? And I said, yeah. You're moving out here? He goes, yeah. I, I want to get a job as an engineer. I want to work in a studio. I said, okay. And he said, uh, do you know anybody? And I said, yeah, I can make a couple calls. I was already in the audio post world, kind of out of Sunny the record Blue world. Sunny Blue Skies. You called Sunny Blue Sunny Skies. Blue Skies. That's right. Can't forget that name. Nope, and he still calls himself Sunny Blue Skies. His real name well, that's was... that's his name. Yeah, well, no, I know what his real name was. I probably oh, shouldn't okay. say publicly because he doesn't like that. But anyway, um, Rob drove out to Woodland Hills. We went to lunch at a sushi restaurant, and here's what a menschy guy he is. I don't think there's anything Rob Shirelli hates as much as sushi or fish. Oh, a male in really? sushi. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it. no, man, there's no sushi is no bueno. I can't do it. <laughs> and no. So he took me to a sushi restaurant to pick my brain. How do I get my foot in the door? And a couple of weeks later, I get a call from Rob and he said, I got myself a job at Paramount. And I went Paramount Studios thinking like Paramount Pictures. And he goes, no, Paramount Recording Studio, which is like at the time, like the big hip hop studio in town, right? Um, yeah, they did everything, you know, Santa Monica but, Boulevard. Still love those guys, still talk to them, you know. Yeah. Really still pretty close. Yeah, good, good guys. Uh, and, and you started out not unlike I did at Criteria. You were um, the bottom guy, you know, on the food chain. And before I know it, you weren't the bottom guy anymore. And you moved up the ladder fairly quickly. Um, no, I got lucky. I got lucky. You know, yeah, I moved but... out of town on July 4th weekend, you know, and I stuck around. I was ready to go home. I was broke. I was hungry. And, you know, as luck would have it, Jay King had fired everybody and I was the only guy left. Wow. And I did mean, you it, actually know how to run a console at all? Well, yeah, I knew how to do it. I mean, you listen, I'm going to pick your brain enough. No, but I knew <laughs> how to do it because I had done it, you know, before. I, I knew what I was doing. But, you know, uh, you know, he and I hit it off. And we've been fast friends ever since, you know. And he's really the guy that gave me my big break, you know. And that's how it was. It was, 
everybody else was off cooking burgers and I stuck around, you know, and I wow. just got, you know, but, but for the grace of God, I say it all the time, you know, and I believe that, you know, with, you know, it's, 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 you know, God has a hand in all of these things, you know, call it what you will, but that's what I call it, you know. Wow. Well, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I would... about me. let's talk about you. Well, I was astonished by watching you, um, quickly move up the ladder, work on really big records in fairly short order. And so you've been around a lot of people who have either been a success when you started working with them, and I'm sure you've worked with others that were not a success in the beginning. Maybe it was their first album on a label and they were kind of feeling their way through it. Um, so can, let's start out with a positive first. Can you give some examples of traits that you've seen in people that have been successful? Um, I'll tell you, yeah, I sure can. I can talk for hours about it. And good. I can, you know, less I'll, work for me. Huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> so one, uh, the first person, well, there are many people that come to mind, but in this moment, the person that comes immediately to my mind is Robin Thicke. And, you know, I haven't really done work with Robin in, in, in quite a while, but when he was young, okay, we worked quite a bit together. And, and he would always come in with demos. And he was a teenager at the time, I would say, maybe 17, something like that. If I, I could have it wrong, but I think that's that we, a really good guy. And, um, you know, very talented. And I remember he came in one time and the record was so good and i said to him man this is this is tremendous something like that and he said not yet he said i'm getting there and i have a ways to but i have a ways to go still and i'll never forget that line i may have a word wrong but it was basically that and i remember thinking oh boy this guy is really in pursuit of excellence and and I never forgot that I've told that many times to people because it struck me that as good as it was he was in pursuit of something more you know so I thought that was you know that's a thing that I've always you know kind of kept and I saw that in in Richard Perry when I worked with him you know um, on uh, the Ray Charles project he was endlessly trying to get it better right he was in pursuit of something and wouldn't quit. And I've seen that in, you know, I saw that in Ice Cube two years ago, and I saw that in, in Will Smith, and I saw that in everybody, you know, that I would say had a, uh, you know, particularly successful career. So that is one element, you know, the, you know, even when it's amazing, you know, there's still the pursuit of trying to be better. Now, cut to maybe three years ago or so I was at the Grammy Museum and on the wall uh, that day was a Taylor Taylor Swift uh, exhibit and I love Taylor Swift I, I don't know her or anything but but there was a small little two-minute video of her and they asked her a great question I'll never forget it they said what are you trying to do in this album that you didn't do in the last album like what do you you know what's your goal yeah. yeah and some people might say well you know I want it to be a little bit richer I want it to be a little more of me I want it to be 
There's a million ways you could answer the question, but what she said was, I, I want it to be better than the last one. I'm trying to make my new record, you know, a little better than the last one, something like that. And I thought, wow, that's, there it is again, you know, that same idea, you know, we're going to just, just get a little bit better today. And then, you know, this comes up all the time with people, whomever I work with, you know, Nate and Kaylee, same idea. We're going to just try to get 1% better today. At the end of the year, we'll be 365% better. And actually, if you want to use compound interest, it's even more than that. But the idea, <laughs> these little, these little small steps that we take really do have a big impact over, you know, over years, years and years. And every day I try to do something, you know, better than the day before. Everything I try to do better, you know. That's, you know, that's the goal, I guess. So that, that's one thing that stuck, stuck out to me. Do you ever have moments of self-doubt? Every day. Um, Every day. I mean, I know you well enough. I, 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 again, I think you and I, in some regards, know each other as well as our wives know us. I mean, we, we've been close yeah. friends now for a very long time. In and some know, ways, not every way. Right, not every way, not that way, just saying. <laughs> but I know that you are very picky. You're not unre you're not unreasonable, but you are exacting. And I'm going to give an example. Um, probably five six years ago now, um, you and I. Oh, we were planning to have. Um, you were doing a version of my daughter Hannah's song on stage with Nate and Kaylee and the whole band, taking it from demo to done. That's what we called it. The amount of time that you spent prepping for that and, and getting ready for it and asking the same questions over and over and putting together a team and having me come over to your house and meeting about it, I went, wow, I thought that I was the kind of person, I, I was trained as an engineer, always have a backup, you know? That's what yesterday really upset me because I don't have a backup for bandwidth uh, on YouTube. But yeah. um, in an audio situation, in a lot of situations, I, I think I don't, almost militaristically, and I see that in you. And I think it's hard for people who are creative types to also have that pursuit of excellence to the point of annoying themselves, which you and I both do. Um, no other input can come at us. We need to focus and be singular in our focus and go through that mental checklist of all the things that we know that need to be right. And doing that, other things will show up in the list. So I see that in you well, and I know, to, yeah, go ahead. You know, the, the thing is, is you and I, I think, you know, we've been as close as can be for years. And I think <clears throat> I learned a lot from you and you actually touched on it earlier. You said that you didn't want to let me down. And, and, and I think that's a lost idea and, yeah. and the idea you know, when you want to talk about the taxi thing that we prepared for, you know, that was tricky because I didn't want everybody, I wanted folks to be able to come in there and play the song, but I didn't go through the details with them like I did with you. See, I didn't want to let you down. I don't want to let the taxi members down. You know, we're right. going to be up there and we're going to, we want to really give them the honest, unvarnished truth about things. You know, we really want to present it in a way that it's, it's simple enough to get, but, you know, it can really get deep if we wanted to. And I didn't want to fail at that. 
And I don't want to fail and let someone down on their mix or their production or anything else. And that's, you know, that's one of the things for me that I think, you know, I don't think about that anymore, but, but you know, my dad, he was a World War II Marine, and he, he had a certain discipline, you know, that I think he passed along. And I, and I see that in, in, in the people that I get to work with. You know, I, I can give endless examples, but the guy that comes immediately to mind is Kirk Franklin and his commitment to excellence. Mm-hmm. 24-7, <clears throat> Kirk Franklin, the sounds, the, the choices, the arrangements, you know, that kind of thing is, you know, part of it, I suppose, is is maybe within you to begin with, but it's it's developed and, and it's like any other skill, you know, it takes discipline and commitment and the other things. And in order to get a really true record, I mean, you know, something that's really good i think everybody involved has to have the same sort of level of commitment and that's scary you know especially when you said earlier yeah sure i have self-doubt every day i wonder if the choices i make are good but at a certain point i think you have to trust it you have to trust the process and the instincts and, and things like that and 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 at some point you do have to print you know you have to roll credits you have to move to the next song <laughs> you know you can't you know I'll tell you a funny story. Is a a kid that I've known forever, and he's and he is actually um, the first guy that I signed to my label back in uh, 2020 or 2017 or something when I had a deal with uh, BMG and Red Ant. And he was working with a guy, you know, and the guy was playing me his demos, and I said, "Wow, you know, this sounds good. How long have you been working on these?" He said, two years." I said, two years. <laughs> I mean, okay, but but there is a limit to things here, you know. I can mix a song for two years. I mean, maybe I get two days or something, you know, or, you know, two hours in some case. But you can't, you know, you can't beat a horse to death either. You know, there's a point where, you know, uh, you know, you have to refine your skills and work through the process. And, and, and at some point, you know, you need to move on. You need to get to the next thing. And 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 get more information and develop and and you know refine the process or whatever it may be you know two years i still remember like thinking wow i've you know there are songs i've written two years ago or 20 years ago but i couldn't tell you what they are because you know they're they're sitting in somewhere that that and they're staying there you know i'm not going to spend two years on (laughs) that that can't happen so the point is is you know there's a there is a point of diminishing returns, I say. There's last year at the beginning of the road rally, which, by the way, is coming up November 5th, 6th, and 7th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So don't forget, my wife told me before I went on the air today, don't forget to mention the road rally. There you go, Deb. I did my job. Um, but last year, um, <clears throat> I had Stephen Pressfield on. And he was talking about Seth Godin, who's probably the best known writer of marketing books uh, in the last 10 or so years. And Seth Godin has a phrase, it's exactly what you're talking about, which is, at some point, you just have to ship it, meaning you got to get it out the door. Yeah, you got to go to market at some point. You know, it's got to be released. You have to, and this is, you know what, that, that, that's really, let me add to that, because you, you just made me think of something which, which I think may resonate with writers and producers of taxi, and that is, 
it is a scary thing to say it's done and put it out in the world. And you know why? Because you're going to get judged on it, you know? And, and right. that's hard. You know, it's hard for me. It's hard for everybody. And I don't, I don't know that there's a way around that. You know, even records that, you know, I did a record a couple a year ago that you know, and and it was just a fun thing that I set out to do. But then I thought, well, I kind of like this really good, and I and I start to get invested a little more into it. Meaning, you know, the passion started to, you know, kick in, and then then it came time to release. A song and I got sweaty and you know I'm nervous and, you know that's thing I wait wait a second this started as a fun thing you know and I had to I had to you know check myself and say you know what just it's cool you know do it you know and you you let go at some point and you got to just right. let the chips fall where they may and sometimes you can tweak tweak the hell out of a record and take tweak the life out of it too you know and it's and it's to dance, right? It's a, it's a it's a weird thing. It's really hard, and I I don't know if other people feel the same way out there, but I think a lot of people do. I think that's one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest roadblocks to success is that people don't pull the trigger and shoot the bullet, figuratively speaking, because yeah. you're absolutely right. Once they do, then they can be judged. If I talk about, oh, you know, I'm going to have a great mix. Once I get this new piece of outboard or I'm going to finish my record as soon as my new keyboard comes in and there's always a reason that they don't finish. To me, it's been so obvious throughout my entire career that you are right on the money in saying, if you don't release it, people can't critique it or criticize it. And I give taxi members a ton of credit for being heroic because they're constantly sending their music in knowing that it's going to be critiqued by the screeners that takes right. bravery and that takes a lot of courage it really does and the idea you know but the, but the other side of that coin is but if you don't send it out then you're never going to get feedback you're going to live in your own little echo chamber and guess what you can't win either i mean if you don't swing the bat you know if you don't run the bases it's kind of tough it really yeah. is i mean then maybe it's not that important or maybe something else might be at play and that's something that i had to consider right you know i we always have my you know ron harris this is a great phrase you know we all have that come to jesus moment you know you know do i want to do this am i really committed to it do i want to pay am i willing to pay the price am i going to expose my voice and my talents like that to ridicule perhaps or to you know criticism that can be harsh you know that that that's really, you know, and I'm a behind-the-scenes guy, and it and it affects me. Imagine if I'm on the cover of the record, or if it's the artist. You know, these become very, you know, th those things are forever, you know, forever joined, and it's hard to separate those. And I I understand that, and I think for that reason, I'm. It's taken years to really see it, but that I've grown a lot once I realized that, and I have to you know, be considerate of those those emotions and things when I'm cutting a vocal or producing an artist. I think those things maybe took me a minute longer than they should have for me to really see them in the right context. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. the, the intensity that those feelings can bring in a an artist or um, a writer, you know, that's, that's on the front lines of it all, you know? 
I found that as an engineer, when I was working in the capacity of just being there to push buttons and be a technical guy, well, a creative technical guy, when it came to lead vocal time, no matter what level the artist was, if you're sitting in that chair moving the fader, especially when the producer goes out to make a phone call or hit the restroom or something, they still need that sounding board and they look at you because you're on the other side of that glass sitting behind the console and you have to have this advice, but you can't give the advice unless you've internalized it and experienced it. Otherwise, it's not believable. And it comes with experience. You know, many years ago, um, I'm looking on the wall here, uh, and it was Johnny Mathis. So I got called near Christmas to work with Johnny Mathis. Um, perfect. That doesn't even sound believable. It's so so perfect. <laughs> right. It's so perfect. But for some, it was near Christmas, and for whatever reason, producer of the, you know, couldn't make it. Jay Landers was the oh wow brilliant A and R guy involved in that project, and he, um, you know, he asked me to go down and cut Johnny's vocals. You know, <laughs> so here I am, me and <laughs> oops. The door. Okay, thank you. People are walking around now. Uh, so, so I here I am, you know, and I'm and Johnny is on the other side of the glass, and he's, you know, he says, "Well, what do you think?" And I'm like, "What? Oh man, take me now, Lord!" Right? You know, here's Johnny Mathis asking me my opinion. You know, you know, and it's happened for years in my my career, but there are certain moments that it's like, wow, you know, uh, I've got to be really thoughtful here. You know, before I put my foot in my mouth, you know, and and maybe that was a moment that I, you know, and, and it, it all went, you know, really, really, really well. And um, and uh, it was a great learning experience because there are some people that that, you know, that you're in the room with and you're and you're um, and you may pause a moment before you do say something. You know, you want to say the right thing at the right time. And there are moments when, you know, I have or I haven't. But, you know, that's that's important. The communication with the artist and uh, and um, in, in the idea that we're all really part of the same, you know, we're all sort of pieces of, you know, uh, we're all steps along the way to bring this home, you know. And... And I'm just one of them, whether I'm a mixer or a producer or an engineer or whatever the case may be. You know, there's a lot of people that take a, go into making a hit record, you know, marketing, promotion, A&R, right? You know, so we're all really setting out for the same goal. And as long as we're all, you know, one thing I've found is that if everybody's dedicated to that and, and, and usually you get pretty good results. You know, if we're all trying to serve the song and the artist and that whole thing and really, really doing our our best and pursuing, and do, you know, doing our very best, then it's, it's usually pretty good, you know. But every like now it. and then, there's, and, and maybe we should talk about that, there are those telltale signs, you know, that that maybe someone's not, you know, not willing to give that 104%, you know. Uh, it's the difference between the freshman record and the sophomore record, meaning that acts that just got signed, they come in, they're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 
Um, they've got that vote of confidence that a label just advanced us money to go make this record. We got a producer whose name we've seen on a million albums. And here we are, everybody's showing up and they are focused like six battleships all focusing at the same point on the horizon. Then they make a record, it goes platinum. They're a hit. They're out on tour supporting that record. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff, if you get my drift, on the road. And their egos get bigger and bigger. Everybody loves me. I've watched this about a half a dozen times. They come back for the next record about two and a half years later. They walk in the room. They dress differently. They stand differently. Their body language is different. Everything about them is different. And now, rather than six people all pointed at the same target, you've got six people who are all thinking about me, and you watch the record start to go to hell in a handbasket from the minute they enter and do the load-in on the first day. It's heartbreaking. Well, you know, in that case, it's probably the pressures of touring and, and uh, you know, the distractions and everybody pulling at them where, you know, before it was a real, you know, it was a real centered and focused thing, you know, a lot of, and then changes and people change, you know, many yeah. things could happen in, in many ways, you know, and I see though with, you know, I've seen oftentimes, um, people aren't willing to do the work anymore. Now, I don't want to say anymore, but you know, people sometimes just don't want to do the work, you know, sometimes, sometimes you got to stay till four in the morning. Sometimes, you know, you got to do it. It's, it's, sometimes it's, you have to work seven days a week. Sometimes. It's every time. I can't think of when I don't work seven days a week. The, I still work seven days a week. I, you know, maybe I'll have a vacation and I'll be gone for a few days. But no, it's music is funny because there's always something to write. There's always something that can be a little better. You can always put an extra hour or two into it. You know, it's not like, you know, uh, I don't know. It's not like uh, making an ice cream cone. You put it, you know, there's the scoop and you serve it. It's not like that. You know, it's, it's, um, this, you know, production and songwriting is always in your mind. Like you think of a lyric and you want to try it. Well, you thought that song was done, but then, you know, you try something new. Or you listen back after being away from it. You get a fresh, I mean, how many people have listened to a song they thought was done? They listen fresh and, oh, wow. You know, it really does need some strings or something in the bridge. You know, there's always that little piece. So, right. you know, I, I feel like, um, anyway, coming back to the question, I feel like nobody said it was easy, and it isn't. And it's a ton of work. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, and you got to be willing to do it. you got to put those hours in. And, and you're not, you know, I've never felt that I'm, you know, entitled to anything at all i feel like i gotta earn it every day and if you listen to you know one of the of course to me the greatest quarterback ever is tom brady and he said this <laughs> over and over every day he's afraid he's going to lose his job well so am i you know, every day i'm really doing my best to to try to you know to bring everything i can to a project and i think i think that's that's the idea that i see or that's the the piece that i see in and a lot of successful people. It's that pursuit of excellence and it's the commitment to doing it. And, you know, nobody's really leaving, nobody's really trying to get out the door early, you know. 
they leave when the job is is done when the best when, when they got the most they can out of the day or the time that they have or whatever it may be you know that's i, that's I saw that in my early studio training at criteria i saw it at howard schwartz recording it, it, nobody ever looked at the clock nobody thought about with the state law mandated for a lunch hour and nobody ever took a lunch hour for right but you know you, you gotta but you have to go with that stuff under you know it's mandated state law certainly here in california and plenty of so, other so states. let me see if i got this right so you know eric clapton right he was known for doing great records at uh at, at the criteria so hold on eric sorry i know you're in the middle of this solo i gotta gotta get my coffee break right now i'll be back in about 15. Right. You know, I just can't see it. You know, it doesn't happen. If I had said that or anybody else in the room would have said that, you wouldn't work on the rest of that record or the next one. You know, something you said a minute ago about you just got to do the work. Mm. I've told people this. I'm not sure it sinks in, but it's such a simple concept. Less wishing and more doing will get you there. People wish, they hope, they see other people, and then envy creeps in. Envy is, I'm guilty of that. We're all guilty of looking at somebody else's something um, and going, man, I'd love to have that. And my accountant once said to me, rent it. Hey, nice. <laughs> I figure I'm uh, gonna change glasses every 30 minutes or so, so. There you but, go. You know, and, and I'll tell you, when. Uh, Nate and Kaylee and I started working together. For those who know the Highfields and their brilliant work, they, you know, we weren't successful right off the bat, but we, we would get together, and we still get together just about every Monday. We call them My Time Mondays. We get together. We talk about business. We usually watch a, a music movie. It's a great uh, six-part series that we started watching uh, with McCartney and the Beatles. Uh, it's out on... On Hulu, Hulu, right? Or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we watched the first three last week, but <clears throat> so, so we we would get together and we'd would wonder, you know, why nobody's picking up the songs, and and what we started doing with one another is to say, you know, what the reason is, it's not them, it's us. We need to get better. And the fact of the matter is, we can point the finger and say, well, you know, you guys at Taxi or you guys at, you know, Crucial or Peer or, you know, any of these companies, you don't like our records, you know, and you guys don't know what, yeah, well, actually, they do know what they're doing. You know, Sony didn't want to take my song or something. Well, they do know what they're doing. Maybe, maybe the idea is just like, you got to be so persistent and you got to improve your craft so much maybe the answer is you know we just got to commit to be better and every day we got to get better and it comes back to that same thing and with us we just we wouldn't ever say you know it's them would always say you know what the reason we haven't gotten any cuts is because we got to get better and we just got to get a, better we're going to get better and eventually something's going to happen and something will break you know eventually that's a very very grown-up attitude wow that you guys recognize that acted on it most of us aren't well, we were strong grown-ups we weren't kids at the time <laughs> i know even as grown-ups look it's so much easier to blame external anything yeah. whether it's people or situations it's so much easier to go well this didn't work out because um so wow that was the, and there you go and you guys have been very successful in what you do um you're honest with yourself you know 
it again, it's so easy. I, I don't want to be a therapist. God only knows I'm not qualified to do it, but it's so easy to blame others and it's so easy to not be in control of your own destiny and you can let go of that control by blaming all those external forces it's covid it's, yeah it's, it's so easy because then it's not you you know that's not your fault you know but but it's it's but then there's no accountability either you know and i think it's to me, it's a much simpler process to just understand. Like, and maybe this is my dad in me, or my mom, or, or you, or many of the, the mentors that I've had in my life. You know, Reggie Calloway, and I, I do I say this at least three times a week. When I met him in 1989, he's, I, I would always pick people's brains, just like you, because I'm a sponge for this. Especially people that I don't, you know, um, I don't even know what they're going to say. Sometimes I have no idea. With Reggie, I asked him. You know, give him, do you have any advice for a young kid? And he said, you need to know three things. He said, number one, you need to know what you want. He said, most people don't. And I thought that was stunning. He said, number two, you have to decide and determine if it's attainable. And I said, well, that's easy for me because if anyone's done it before, then it's got to be attainable. So he said, well, okay. Then number three, he said, you got to be willing to pay the price. Now, the price might be money, the price might be time, the price might be sacrificing, you know, girlfriends or whatever it may be in your life. But there are sacrifices that come with this. And we all know in this business, you know, um, you know, a friend of mine, Manny, did a, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's like a Hall of Fame guy, mixer guy. He did a seminar and I heard him say, you know, this isn't as glamorous as people think you know this is long hours in the studio it's there's a lot of that that, that people maybe don't see you know and I thought you know what right on you know and that's the stuff that that's that's the grind of it you know that's the grind and when we were at the Grammys a couple of years ago somebody won and they said this is for everybody out here that's been grinding it out and I and I remember that word grind you know and that's what we're doing we're grinding it out every day. So you got to know what you want. You got to decide or determine if it's, you know, attainable and you got to be willing to pay the price. And the price is high in music and, you know, it's it's just and it's and it's I don't think that price is ever fully paid. You know, I think that's a tough part of it because we're always we're always working and working and working to try to become better. And and it's not so easy, you know, that part isn't easy. And knowing what you want was hard for me. You know, I loved playing sports. I loved playing, you know, I'm really a bass player, but I started on the drums, and I was pretty good on the drums, and I could play the bass and went to school and studied. And then, you know, I wanted to be in a band, and then I wanted to do live sound, and then I wanted to do production, and then I wanted to do engineering. I, wanted to, like, you know, I enjoyed too many things, so it was hard for me to let go of things that I enjoyed. And then, and, and, and this was before Reggie told me that bit of wisdom. But now I look back and I realize, wow, that is wisdom because part of the price I had to pay was leaving home, you know, putting myself in a place to succeed because back then there was no internet and stuff, you know. I had to be in LA. <clears throat> part of it was leaving my girlfriend. Part of it was, you know, sacrificing and living on the, basically on the street for a while. and you know, knocking on doors and taking the rejections. That's all part of the price that we pay. And I'm no different than anybody else 
and every day and I wake up with the same concerns and fears that you know hey maybe today you know maybe I'm not gonna be good enough but I'm gonna you know I'm gonna die trying I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it everything I can you know and that kid and by the way that wears you out too so it's all part of that thing you know that we have to deal with in the business and there's the trade-off between providing for your family and being with your family um, that that's yes. the one thing I look back at and go I'm not I'm never sure if I've made the right choice but partially because of the way I was raised the family I grew up in it, it's the man's responsibility to provide well for his family and not just for today or tomorrow but what happens if you dropped out of a heart attack at 64 years old is your family gonna have to leave the house that's their cocoon um, so I've always well, opted opted to work really really hard um and my family has suffered uh, well if you call not being with me <laughs> suffering <laughs> and uh recently I, I was out of town with my family for five and a half weeks and i was working instead of my typical 10 or 12 or 14 or more hours a day on taxi seven days a week i was doing five days a week about six hours a day and my wife was telling this story the other night she said michael the whole time we were all together um the kids kept saying what's with dad he seems happy <laughs> they've well, never they seen me relaxed right yeah but that that's a great point I mean, it's different for everybody of course but but for me you know it's an individual thing but for me it's it's um I, I don't know what kind of wretch I might be if I wasn't doing music, and it, but this isn't for everybody. You know, this isn't. I mean, you know, I've heard the expression that music calls you. You don't. You know, music picks you. You didn't pick music. You know, right? And music kind of picked me, and and it had, and it's just something that I had to do, and I have to continue to do it. It's almost like, I guess, a shark keeps swimming. Call it what you will, but I just have to do it. I don't know that. I don't even know too many things that would make me as happy as I am, you know, when I'm working on music. And my family and friends have been so supportive of me through the ups and downs and and even as a kid, you know, been so supportive. I am really, really blessed. I've been really, really lucky to have supportive parents family friends who would always come out and see the band play or, or hang out and you know you know do stuff and i was you know my you know remember bill garside yeah. from back in the day right so bill when i moved to california everybody told me i would be a failure they said you'll be back in a few weeks you know you, there's no Ooh. chance I mean, everybody told me that <clears throat> okay wow now i didn't even tell my mother i was moving till about the day beforehand and um and my brother i didn't tell you right so my family I, I just for whatever reason i was maybe frightened to tell them but but i had made my decision i talked to my friends and, and others and everybody told me i was going to fail except for bill and bill gave me the best piece of advice the history of the world 
And he said to me, well, I got one other good piece of advice. He said, he said, Rob, if you meet good people, you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, the wisdom and those words, you know. Wow. And when I came out here, you know, I called you and I called one other person that I knew was out here. And, and I got to say, is as goofy as it sounds, that's the story of my life. You know, if I, if I can, you know, be around good people, you know, I'll be all right. You know, and I think that's the best thing I can say to anybody is, you know, because it's, it's tricky out here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of traps, you know, but if you meet good people, you will be okay. You know, I believe that. And, um, and the other piece that I got from another guy, um, you know, he said to me, you know what, look at it this way, you know, go ahead out there. What, what's the worst that could happen? You come back with some knowledge. And I thought, wow, that's, that's another great morsel to hold on to, you know, and I hold on to these little trinkets because they're gems, you know. Okay, so you gave it a try. There's no shame in that. You gave it a try. You released the song. So you learn from the experience. You move forward. It's all you can do. The idea that I'll come back, maybe, maybe things won't go my way. I can accept that if I give it a try. And I'll... I'll maybe come back with some knowledge. I thought that was the experience. I thought, well, that's, I said, that's fair. I can't ask for too much more than that, right? And I don't know how much many people really can when you try to do something new. It's scary. Wow. Well, you want to do an EP? Well, do it. What's the worst that can happen? Someone doesn't like it. Well, someone's not going to like it. I mean, you know, some people don't like, you know, off the wall. Some people don't like throw it. I mean, some people don't like, you know, Pink Floyd. It is what it is. You know, just accept that it. it's cool, but do it and keep, you know, keep moving forward, you know. Keep moving forward. You know, one, 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 another thing I, I tell people, which I hate to get into the quote, quote thing, but <laughs> what the hell, you know, we're, here, we're talking like we always talk, right? So yeah. there's this great... You know, when when I, I made my kids watch Rocky maybe five years ago, and I think it's one of the great movies of all time. So there's this scene when when Rocky realizes, you know, he's he's in, in the, the the apartment with uh, with Adrian and he said to her, um, I can't do it. There's no way I can win. But when that bell rings at the end of the 15th round, if I'm still standing, I will have won. said words to that effect. The goal was to go the distance. And every time I see that scene, I think how wonderful it is. Because his goal is to go the distance. The winning and losing was secondary to him because the odds were so stacked against him. And in this business, that's another maybe trinket. Go the distance. See the project through. And at the end, if you're still standing, you're proud of what you did, which I think is tied to this idea of going the distance and still be standing, meaning doing your best. Wow, that's, to me, that's really a powerful idea, and I love it. In fact, as I talk about it, I get my heart goes faster and I feel like give me the gloves baby you know let's, 
Rocco, let's well, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> crop thunder. Let's let's do it. <laughs> Cut me, Mick. <laughs> Yo, Mick, you know, but I ain't got no locker, Mick. Uh, yeah, talent, you know? <laughs> oh god i've known you for so long i've never seen you do that ever i've never seen you do an impersonation that's awesome you know um if you can, if you can catch the chicken you got speed you, you got lightning speed <laughs> well now i know what we're doing dangerous thing <clears throat> Now I know what we're doing for entertainment uh, on the the next New Year's Eve when we get together. <clears throat> so, something important that a lot of people don't realize is that success and failure are not an either or binary thing. That there are different degrees of success. And um, a lot of times I feel bad because I think I'm constantly stressing with taxi members do this to be successful. If you do more of that, you can be successful. Some people don't want the level of success or the kind of success that their fellow members have. Some people are older. They might be in their 60s like I am, and they're going, I don't think it's realistic for me to make two or 300 Some grand a year. Some people can be in their 30s like I am. That's right. How do we look that, that never mind. Um, Anyway, and I feel bad. So my apologies to anybody that I've ever made feel bad that I put that trip on you like a bad parent that everybody has to make a few hundred thousand dollars. For some people, you know who really woke me up to this was one of our members, Casey Hurwitz. I just interviewed him for the uh, June newsletter, <clears throat> did a video interview. Casey's had, I don't know, 20, 30 placements over a 10-year career, 15 years, whatever. He makes good money being a computer programmer, writing code, um, building websites, whatever he does. And he does the music thing because he loves to make music. He's never really gotten good on, on a workstation. He's not a technical guy, but he's good with words and melody. And he finds himself taxi members to pair up with, to collaborate. And every now and then they come up with something really good and a library takes it uh, and they, it ends up getting a nice placement. And he's very, very happy with that level of success. Um, you know, maybe he makes yeah. a few few hundred or a couple thousand dollars a year. I don't know, whatever. It's not a lot of money. It's certainly not a six-figure income. The personal satisfaction he gets from sitting with his wife, maybe his kids on the couch are going, you know what? I did that. That song came from inside of me, and now 2.7 million people are seeing it on this TV show. So um, success is different things to different people. Do you have any advice on how to yes. decide what your level is and how to be honest with yourself about what your level is and sticking you know, to that goal? Maybe not that precise answer, but I have... A thought that, that came immediately to mind when you were talking about that and the idea that everybody has a different goalpost you know we're all looking for different things and we have to have a balance in our life that works for us right yeah and that's that's very difficult to do so so when you know we signed um, you know this terrific talented guy's name Seth to our 
to our company. And, um, and, and even with Nate and Kaylee, I'll go back with them. We, we met a while back, years ago, with uh, a manager, and he said, well, what are your goals for this year? And I said, I want to place one song. And he said, oh, he said, come on, you know, we can do better than that. And I said, hey, I want to place one song. Let's start right there. Because if you place that first one, all sorts of things come into play. You get that one song, okay, now let's set our sights on another. Then you get two, and you set your sights maybe on another. But you you got to focus on the simplest, most attainable. You have to know what it is that you want. Place one song. Is it attainable? It's only one. It's got to be attainable. Is it willing to pay the price? I think I can pay that price. Maybe I'm not willing to pay the price to, to do this 24-7, 365 in place 100 songs, right? So So now we're putting this into like a box that's digestible to me. Right. And I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted the, the goal to be attainable. One song. One song. Let's place one song. Let's start right there. And then, you know, we'll, we'll work on maybe placing another one. And when you do place that song, something really powerful happens. And, you know, I'm going to tell you how the My Time Monday starts. So every Monday, except for the COVID time, you know, for 10 years or so, Nate, Kaylee, and I get together. And Mondays uh, were to celebrate the friendship, talk about business, and, and just relax for a few hours together, enjoy one another's company. But that started because we got a, a placement. We got a placement, and the first one we did was for Vagisil. Okay, so I remember that. <laughs> you know, and the hilarious thing is, Kaylee's dad said, "Should I go buy some? Should I go buy some? Would that help you guys?" You know, and you know, she's like, "No, Dad. Like that's." You know, I can just—I get this picture of him coming out of Target with a big thing full of, you know, uh, well, you know. So, so, so it was a small placement, but in that moment, right? They knew they could do it. It just took the little thing, you know. It only took somebody that they didn't know to tell them they were good, you know. It's just somebody that's willing to pay a little something for that song. And then all of a sudden, so you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we can do another one. You know, let's work at that second one. Then, then you get a second one. It's like, wait a second. Maybe we're on to something. This feels kind of good, you know. <laughs> so it starts with one. It doesn't start usually with 15 or 20 or 100. It starts with, it starts with one. You know, Did you ever have a, a dip after that first one? I've seen that with taxi members. They get a, a, a few forwards, then they finally get Absolutely. a placement, and, and then they hit a dip, and they go, oh, I thought it was just going to be you know, a 45-degree angle up, um, and it's not. It's like up and then back down <laughs> and then up. Absolutely. Dips in your career, dips in your writing, you know, uh, self-doubt. People tell, you know, just the other day someone told one of my artists you know you know that that uh that the song they didn't they didn't think it was good for them to sing and then all the self-doubt comes in you know I'm mm -hmm. like what are you listening to them for i mean you know you got to block that stuff out you got to follow what you believe is true for you you know 
And don't let that those distractions, because those distractions can give you that dip. It can be an emotional dip. It can be, you know, you can get in a rut for any little thing, right? That's why we try to be sensitive in the studio and make sure that it's a comfortable environment. That's It's not because everybody's a prima donna. It's just the idea is we're trying to create an environment, you know, and we're trying to keep the level high. And in, in dips in the career and, and in songwriting and placing, it happens every time. Absolutely. There's ups, there's downs, and you know what? You, you know, when you have a down, you know what you do? You, you may reevaluate. And you, you, you ask yourself, what did I do different here, if anything? And you know, if you feel like, you know what, the work is there, but maybe the timing is wrong, then it's okay. I'll tell you something else. Because there are dips. Now I'm going to switch my glasses again. <laughs> so You're there are one minute late. That was at five oh one. Pretty close though. And I was late on the first switch. But so the idea though is, you know, you have um I have good partners and I have a good support structure. And you know, even with business stuff I call you all the time. What do you think of this? You call me the other day for a business thing. And we, we brainstorm together. We put our heads together and we try to figure out are we missing anything? For two and a half hours straight, yeah. What's that? Hmm? What? No, I, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, I said we brainstormed for two and a half hours. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you have to have a support structure. Every time at Taxi, I talk about the same thing. That's really important. Because you know what? Somebody may notice something that maybe you don't notice. Right. You know, but that doesn't mean everybody has a valid opinion. But the idea being, okay, so, you know, you might have a down period, but I will tell you, one of the down periods in my life was 2006 and 2007. You know, digital came in, a lot of A&R guys got fired. It was a tough time for a lot of people, you know. And that was the time I met Nate and Kate. I met Nate at that time. Okay, mm -hmm. I met some other people, and I, I didn't realize it, but that was actually a really high point. It just felt like a low point. And some songs that I wrote back in, you know, um, we let's just use Nate and Kaylee for an example. There's songs that we wrote five years ago that we thought we'll never, you know, we just gave up on, but they're out there. And we we get a call saying it got placed, got put in a TV show, or using a commercial or something. We're like, wow, you know, maybe the timing just wasn't right for it. So you can't let that stuff affect you too much, as long as you know your ship is headed to the right port. As long as you're on course, you know. So, so maybe that's the the thing I'd want to share is to say, you know, just keep keep your don't get I, boy oh boy this is this is wonderful. Don't get lost. That's another good one. And I say that to Charlie, my assistant, pretty much every morning when we hang up the phone. I say, Charlie, don't get lost. And I don't even know if he knows what I mean, but it means don't <laughs> get lost in life or your direction or anything else, you know. And I say that to Seth, and I say to Nate and Kaylee, I, you know, it's become a joke around here. I say it to my kids, say, when he leave, my son leaves the house to go to work, I say, you know, be great. Don't get lost. He probably thinks I mean don't get lost. <laughs> don't want to work, but I don't mean that. I mean, don't get lost. You know, stay focused. Know where your course is. Know what the heading is. And, and you know, and that'll keep you, I think, pretty straight. And God knows I have gotten off course so many times in my life. I don't mean to be preachy, but I think that's a good idea, a good thought to keep in mind is in writing and production and engineering and mixing. Maybe just stay the course, you know, stay the course. And before I forget, speaking of which, I know that James Goshen 
is out there, maybe not listening right now, but I got to tell you that those Bucks winning the NBA championship, I got to give a shout out or I will never hear the end of it. So <laughs> congratulations to my friend and yeah, Milwaukee Bucks, they did it. Bucks and six. Wow. <laughs> back to back to taxi. Yeah, not bad for a bunch of cheeseheads. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're not really the cheeseheads, but... Uh, no, I know, but... Uh, right. He's um, a Packers fan. We'll see what Aaron Rodgers decides. I have to check the news. But anyway, go well, on. Is, to, is today the, the, the announcement of his decision? I check it every day. You know, oh, okay. I check it every day. I don't know. Um, I forgot to ask you. I did mention it in the uh, email that went out, and if you... If, if you can't do it, because I forgot to ask you, are we going to give away a code later on in the show to give away a, a piece of Final Mix software? Of course. Awesome. And I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to tell you what it is, because I thought about which one to give away, and I think I've given it all away at some point, but maybe this one I don't think I gave away. All right. Well, let's not give out the code right now, because if we do, half our audience will be over on your website during the show. So tell them what they're going to get, and then we'll give the code away at the very end. Okay. So one of the things that I've found, you know, I get a lot of taxi uh, forwards, you know. Yeah. Is that sometimes those, see, they're just not loud enough. Sometimes the demos just, the levels are just way off. And that's, it's getting better. But the quality of the production and the songwriting it's terrific. Yeah. I'm getting great, 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 great songs. But I think one thing that might help people is this one little box that I I have called an M1 limiter light, which is going to get your levels up where they need to be, and it's not going to kill the sound of your 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 record or your mix, and uh, it's really easy to use. There's like one knob on it. There's oh, I could even use that. Hmm? I can use that. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's meant to be. I, I mean, you know, we use it all the time. You know, if we don't have time to sit there and tweak and we need to send something out, we just throw it on there, get the level up pretty hot, and then, you know, print it and send it out. And it's a really it's a really useful tool that way. And I think, in fact, I want every taxi member to have it for free. You know? and so I'll put up this thing and we'll keep it up for, you know, let's say, um, I don't know, a week or whatever you want me to do and then give t people time to get it and have fun. Awesome. Thank you. And you know what? I completely concur on the level thing. Um, we do, you know, where where the A&R staff uh, comes in my office. We haven't been doing it much during COVID, but pre-COVID, we'd get together at least once a quarter, if not more often. And we would go thematic. Like we'd say, okay, uh, everybody kick in a few songs that you think would be good for advertising, or everybody kick in a few great singer-songwriter songs. And we just hang out on a Friday afternoon, pop open some beer for everybody but me because I just don't like to drink. And and we hang out in my office, like 10 of us, and we just listen to the music. And it annoys me. I've got to say, maybe I should adjust my expectations a little bit, but it really annoys me when you hear this level, this level, and the third one is obviously like eight dBs lower. And then you have to turn it up. And it's not that turning it up is any big deal, but I do remember some A&R guy many years ago, like 30 years ago, said to me, if I've got to turn it up, you've already lost me. 
And uh, I'm sure that's true when an editor is sitting down trying to choose music to slug into a slot on a TV show and the levels are low. It's not that having incredible levels, I mean, sure, it makes the Fletcher Munson curve kick in and things sound a little better just because of what your ears do to things at higher levels. But um, it's a comparison it's thing. Fix. Yeah. It really is. And if, yeah, it's just a simple fix. And I think it, it might give you the little extra thing you need. I, I, I mean, I believe in it. I've, we did, um, a few years ago, we did a taxi uh, road rally day just talking about levels and mixing and, and the importance of, of being competitive because, you know, if two songs are equally good and one is 5 dB louder, it's winning. It just yeah. hits a different way. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's just a reality. I've, you know, I, I don't think that there's anyone who can you know, they can deny that. So get the levels up without killing it. You know, this you can overload stuff too, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just, you know, get it in the ballpark. You know, get it right up in there. And, and uh, excuse me, the, um, yeah, get, get them the thing for free. I'll give it to you for free and, and roll on. Do you get all scientific about your levels? How many lefts and, you know, doing math? No. Because um, I see a lot of people obsessing about that. And I don't know, I, I also come from the VU meter era where I love nothing better than an analog VU meter with a bouncing needle in it. I can look at that but based on the velocity of the music, the type of music, whether it's like edgy, metally sounding music or acoustic singer songwriter stuff i could look at the meter i could literally have the the monitors turned off look at the meter and set my levels because you just get used to it it's a thing it's like riding a bike i um, can't do that really i can absolutely do that i used to wow. here's something i don't think i've ever told you before uh, it's time for true confessions but i got so cocky working when during my howie schwartz years uh i think i told you my first big jingle in new york was mcdonald's jingle with 30 players live and i had like steve gadd on drums a bunch of big people in the room will lee on bass i think and uh michael small was the arranger producer conductor on, on this thing and he had everybody in the room i think there's strings and horns and rhythm section on it and he said all right let's run it down and they run it down and he and michael small turns around and says can you play that back and i went uh no, I thought you were running it down. I was busy getting my sounds and setting my levels. And he goes, you're new in town, right? <laughs> that was the last time I ever made that mistake. Man, was I embarrassed. Lost my focus. Um, so it got, you're right, Michael. It did. But, you know, I had to learn that lesson. And from that point forward, I would set, if I had a, a big room full of players on, on a jingle date, I would preset my preamps, my input faders, my EQ, uh, my outboard, everything, and get it so close that if they sat down and did their thing, that it's like, okay, I could print that to tape. I barely had to adjust anything. So maybe well, yeah, I was that's a little... A, that's just good, that's experience and good right. engineering. Yeah. You know, that's just knowing your, your instrument. You know, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's I, good engineering. 
I always loved doing that. It was a fun little quiet challenge. I wouldn't even tell my assistant about it. I would just do it and go, okay, can't wait till these guys walk in the room. And the string players with their snotty little attitudes sit down and go, tap, 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 you know, is this thing on? And they start playing. And when it comes out of the speakers and it sounds right, I go, yeah, I'm awesome. <laughs> well, you know, when you asked about do I get mathematical with stuff, you know, as a rule, no, okay, and, you know, but I've had, you know, there was a, um, I was, I had a session with Stevie Wonder a couple of years ago, and um, he said two things to me that I'll never forget, he said, you know, at this point I was DSing the vocal a little, and he immediately heard it, and he said, don't DS the vocal, I like the sibilance, wow, and I thought, so, okay, so I, I took it off and I said, you know what, I'm going to start listening a little different. You know, maybe, maybe I'm putting that in a little more often than I should. And I realized, you know what, let me go a little lighter on it because I actually do like the sibilance when I think about it. It's kind of cool and some, it, it, it does something. I like it, you know. So it got me thinking, and then another session, he's, um, I, I forget what we're talking about. It doesn't even matter because... He said, uh, he said, if it sounds good, it is good. If it sounds good, it is good. Wow. Pretty simple stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You're right about that. You know, if it does sound good, if it sounds good, it is good. Right. That The meters don't have anything to do with it. It really doesn't. You know, it... it he doesn't know what the EQ is doing per se, you know, and, and you can, and you can listen to records all day, and it doesn't matter what EQs were turned. If it sounds good, it's good. Simple. I'm not getting mathematical. Maybe in the old days, you know, I, you know, you have to do empty calculations and offsets and stuff. But no, in terms of levels and things like that, I mean, no, you got to, you know, I've mixed, I don't know seven eight thousand records or something like that and you wow. know I, I got a feel for it but the bottom line is is that <laughs> wisdom of a world genius you know it's just that simple if it sounds good it's good print it yep print it people overthink a lot of stuff um yeah, yeah. i'm looking at the chat room i've been trying to ignore it today because i really wanted us to stay focused on what we were talking about and not get sucked into audio stuff so much um, which we've been known to do you know actually i'm going to propose something that you and i should go down a road um before town road now before i ever met you back when i was still working in florida a guy walked into my studio, not unlike you. His name was Gilbert Montagnier, and he was a he was a big hit artist in France and in the rest of Europe. He had a song called "The Fool" that went platinum or multi-platinum. Legitimate rock star. Also, not unlike Stevie, blind. Uh, he walks into my studio and says, uh, "Is Michael? Is French? Is Michael Lesko here? Uh, you know, I've heard about him. I want to work with you. I want to check out your studio." He was the only guy in my entire career that I ever worked with where I thought, this guy is as talented as Stevie Wonder. And you could take the blindness factor out of both of them. It just, some people literally are born with the gift from God. 
maybe that's God's way of repaying them for, you know, I'm taking away your eyesight, but I'm going to give you this other gift that may be even better or something. Anyway, I haven't spoken to Gilbert since 1987. I was, I won't even go, it's too long a story. Bottom line is we reconnected recently, very recently, and it was as if it was three weeks ago that we worked together in the studio. I think I produced three or four songs with him, and then he moved back to France, and we lost touch. Um, anyway, I've always fantasized about what Gilbert and Stevie would do uh, on a duet together. They they would kill it. Well, I think that we. Yeah, I, I think that we should try and set that up. I think it, our hair would stand up on our arms, and I love those moments sitting in a well, control let's room. Well, be honest, I don't have that kind of juice. <laughs> yeah, but you could call those people and just say, you know, well, I could, che yeah. check well, this out. We'll just send them a link and say, check this out. This is an artist that may be awesome for a duet someday. If Stevie's ever up for it, we can make that happen. Anyway, and leave it at that, see what he says. Um. <laughs> anyway, I'm so happy that I've connected with Gilbert, and uh, he actually uh, invited Deb and I to go to one of his concerts uh, over in Asia, I believe, mid-November. So I'm very excited. Last time, I only got to see him in concert one time. I knew him as my little buddy in the studio, you know, and we became very close, like a family over a year. And I got to go watch him perform live in front of 20,000 people one time in Nice, I think, in France. And he goes, oh, why don't you mix the songs that you did in the studio with me? Uh, and I said, live? I've never done live. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you, you know where all the parts are. And I remember the sound guy behind the board is like, oh, great, some studio jerk going to tell me how to mix live. And when it came time, he just stepped aside, and I put my hands on the faders. I looked like the pilot in the movie Airplane, sweat pouring down my face. I'd never mixed anything live in my face, and there's this thing called feedback. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like you move a fader in the studio if you mess it up. No big deal. You move it in a live situation. Very big deal. It scared the hell out of me, but it was awesome fun. Sorry, anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting blasted by the light here. It's killing me, and I'm uh, speaking of sweating. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> blinded by the light. It's like right through there now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's sunlight. So some questions. That's sunlight coming. Through yeah, let's the... let's do some. Uh, let's do a few questions. Uh, let's see. How much time do we have? We've got eleven minutes, so we need to reserve two or three minutes at the end to give away the plug-in, which I appreciate you thinking of. All right, if anybody has any questions for Rob, we've got you know, nine minutes left. We can do it, 10 minutes, whatever. Um, and please, the person that was asking about blockchain, I hope you're gone. The whole first half hour we were on the air, Rob, there was a guy in the chat room kept saying, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. Okay, here's a question from Darren blockchain. Moss. So, you know, no, no, don't, don't <laughs> What? Non-fungible tokens, I believe, is what he's yeah. getting at, and the way the artists are using them today. Uh, I can, I can, I can refer you to a world expert on that if taxi members are interested. We'll see if we, you know, can get them on for you. But I've got uh, several friends from the domain name industry that are into NFTs and uh, blockchain, and, and they're all buying the, the Bored Ape. 
Um, and if it, it, it looks like a postage stamp with a, a board ape by a certain artist. And these guys, the day they came out, they paid like $280 a piece for them. And right now they're going for anywhere between like $125,000 and $350,000. So all these guys I know are like celebrating that. Anyway, question. Um, Andre Stepanian said, worst advice, or no, Darren Moss asked, the worst advice that you've ever gotten. I immediately comes to mind. I went. I, I was considering two schools. One was well. I was considering a few, but <clears throat> Berkeley and uh, University of Miami. I went to the University of Miami, and um, I went to visit Berkeley. And I did an interview with with someone there, and um, and he was from Waltham, which is where I was raised. So I felt like, you know, this is the guy I should speak to. And he said something really interesting to me. He said, uh, he said, is there anything else you can do besides music? And I said, well, you know, I really like electrical engineering or physics. I, I'm interested in both of those. And he said, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's funny. And I, I, I left there thinking, well... I guess I made my college choice, you know. <laughs> that's yeah, really so, funny. Yeah, so that was just weird. And I, I, I thought, like, that's not advice, but that's, like, one of those things, you know. Um, I'll tell you another thing that comes to mind. When I was... When I was trying to find a place to begin my journey here in Los Angeles, there were many studios I just knocked on the doors and called everybody and and there was a studio that said you know he eventually called me and said you know we need a you know a runner position is opened up and would like to uh, you know you're next in line you know so if you want it you gotta start tomorrow and I said well I'm at the moment I was mixing Club Nouveau you know, I wow. was very lucky. I, well, not mixing them, but I was engineering them. And I had committed to them till the end of the week. And I said, well, I said, I, I can, I'd love to start. Like, this is exactly the studio I wanted to work at. And, uh, and I said, but I can't. I gave my word to this guy, and I'm going to, I can't, I can start Monday, but I can't start before then because I committed to this guy. And he said, well, if you're not, you know, if you can't do it, then I'm just taking you off the list and don't call back kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, my decision is, is final. I, I would think that you'd want to hire a guy that's at least going to do the same for you because I thought there was just a matter of principle, yeah. you know. And he's like, nope, don't call back. And that was the end of that. <laughs> wow. But but it worked out, you know. The Lord works in mysterious ways because you know. Then I did that record and I mixed it and I got my first hit and then I met, you know, countless other people. You know, who knows? You met Chucky Booker on that record, right? I did. I met Craig Burbage. I met you know, uh, you know. I got to work on Teddy Pendergrass. I got to work with the Callaways. I got to work with so many great people. You know, because one thing led to another. But but I remember that, and I and I feel you know that was. Maybe it was a test, you know, but I felt like at that moment that was, you know, I felt like it was, I was very sad about it because I wanted that job. I really wanted to work at that studio. 
and it was it hurt me and I, I can still kind of feel how disappointed I was and how surprised I was and um, but it ended up being probably the best thing for me you know there are times of I've been desperate to hire somebody for taxi because somebody else is leaving and when they give their two-week notice it doesn't give you enough time to run ads interview people and then get somebody in and get them trained so you're pretty desperate to find somebody in a really big hurry but I've got to say when I find somebody I like and they say I'm sorry I hope this doesn't upset you but I've got to give two weeks to my other job it seems only fair and I have tremendous respect for people that live by that yeah we're only talking a couple of days but you know I understand they needed a guy but I thought you know I don't really want to work for this guy if he's you know, because the next thing you know, he's going to have no respect for me anyway. You know, when it comes down to it, I it's just, you know, I've thought through it. It's come back in, in you know, years. Of, it's sort of resurfaced in my mind. And I thought, you know, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. But so I don't know if I'd put that under the category of bad advice. But um, no, how about it? How about advice on panning drums? Andre Stepanian asked that question like five minutes ago, and I'd be curious to know. Um, do you go with your high tom on the left or the high tom on the right? And uh, do you left? Great question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, I said, yeah. So yeah. the idea is, so when I work, it's a little bit different. Um, I have a different approach because I'm a drummer and a musician really first. So. If I'm, I will usually pan from, if it's an ensemble, meaning string section, well, there are many ways to set up strings, but traditionally the viol, from an audience perspective is how I would pan them. The violins would be on the, you know, on the left and followed by, you know, the violas, the cellos, the string basses on the right. That's typically the basic orchestral setup. And it tends to be that way even if it's a quartet. You'll have your two violins, your viola and cello. So if it's an ensemble, I mix or I pan from the audience perspective. But if it's a musical instrument, I pan from the musician's perspective. So if it's a drummer, I'm, I'm a right-handed drummer, so the hi-hat might be a little off-center. I don't pan it all the way to the left, usually. And the toms would be, you know, left to right, as the drummer would sit behind. If it's a piano, the low end tends to be further on the left and the high part, the higher notes tend to be a little bit on the right. So the musician's perspective, it's, a, it's an instrument. And if it's an ensemble, I do it from the audience's perspective. Interesting. I do it from the drummer's perspective as well. In my entire career in the studio, people think, like, why, why, why? They, ironically, those uh, songs that I sent you, uh, the, the living room demos that these guys heard on Taxi TV a week or two ago, uh, I noticed that on those, the drums are opposite, but I had very limited everything. And if I remember correctly, the band was just hating the fact that I had a pan with the high tom on the left. They couldn't handle it. So I switched and it's still weird to me, you yeah, know, 30 years later. A, <laughs> it's probably not a right or wrong on that. It's just that, you know, because I've played, it just, it, you know, you, you start playing the drums when, you know, six years old or something, and then all of a sudden you, you're mixing, and you, yeah, I want to hear it kind of the way I'm used to hearing it. That That's really all it is. It's not a right or wrong thing, you know. It's, it's not a big deal. If somebody asks me to reverse the toms, I'm, I'll just flip them for them. It's not a big deal. 
Um, what do you what mic do you use on a floor tom? I always found it hard to find a good floor tom mic. You know what? I will tell you what I have. There's there there there's long answer to that question. I'll boil it down really quick. It depends on the style of music and a bunch of other things. First of all, it depends on the sound of the drums. There's a lot of elements that are come to play, but I found that a, a great Bayer Dynamic mics, they clip on it, and there's this little mm -hmm. gooseneck thing, and they're like 150 bucks a piece, and those things sound tremendous. Now, I'm not saying those are the end-all Tom mics, but for the bang for the buck, there's nothing that can touch them. No question about it. But usually if I go in and I'm going to mic up a drum kit, if it's like, you know, if I want an open-type sound, I'll put four, uh, t uh, FET 47s on the Tom. That's my favorite Tom mic. Wow. I'll use a C12A on a snare. But most studios get very nervous when you do that because of the price of the mic. But, you know, I'm using, I mean, drummers are good, and, you know, it, it, it's what I like, you know. Other times... You know, sometimes I'd use, I used to use 421s on the Toms. I hate SM57s. I, mean, I never know you do. That's the one thing you and I do I, not I, agree I, on. I don't even like them on a talkback. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's just a certain tone where I just can't stand. That and, is so uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, funny haha. -ha. <laughs> well, now you got to listen to those two songs I sent you because I will. literally... Let me let me give a shout out because I know you know you 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 know you working an SM57 is, is different than me working a 57. And yeah. this guy, you know, people may know Barry Rudolph because he's a um, you know he's he's a great um, he's, he's, many people don't know how great he is as an engineer. Okay, he did like uh, Sarah Smile and and and, and Hall and Oates and like massively successful hits back in the day. One of my favorite people in the world. Good guy. And he told me he used 57s on everything. And I was like, what? Like, I, that's one of my favorite sounding records of all time. You know, in his hands, it's it's a different thing because he, he approaches it different. And, and that's his thing, you know. And if my life depended on it, I'm not going to get that sound. It's just I'm a I take a different approach, you know. And you're the same way, you know. Yeah, you probably uh, have a way that you, that you use it that, that, that works great. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I just on a snare, I do that. Yeah, <laughs> on a like a Fender Twin with a Strat going through it, I put it right up to probably an inch outside of where the speaker coil is, right up to the grill. Um, I just bought a, a, a Neumann TLM one hundred two because I like the sound of it on, you know, the Vox. AC30. Right. So if I put a 57 on, if I even see the 57, I'm like, where's where's the assistant engineer so I can shoot him? You know? <laughs> Check out when you listen to that thing. I, I literally had a Vox AC30 that I had to put on a chair because it just didn't sound good on the floor. And it was a 57 right on it. And I think I used 421s. Uh, I used a 57 on the snare, 421 on the kick. Oh, and a pair of 58s doing this about two feet back from the TomToms, looking down at the front rim of the TomTom as you're facing. Those are your overhead mics, or those are the Tom mics? Those were my Toms and my overheads, because I didn't have enough mics to go around. So I knew that the cymbals would bleed into the 58s, so I aimed yeah. the 58s down 
at the tom, at the front edge of the tom, at about, I don't know, 30 degree angle. And the bleed mm -hmm. from the cymbals actually worked out better than a lot of times when I've done good overhead miking. I couldn't believe it. Well, there you go. <laughs> right, if it, it sounds right, there, right, if it sounds good, there you go. Yeah, and another thing is people are shocked. I just, I had a meeting, I mentioned that uh, that artist that, um, that, that was discovered through Taxi. Um, Bud Harner's artist, I can't. Oh, Lindsay. Uh, yeah, Lindsay Webster. We were just talking about her. Yes, right? yes, yeah. wonderful people. And and he asked me, you know, uh, he asked me a question. It was about it was about microphones and stuff. And uh, hmm. oh, you were just talking about. It. I lost my train of thought. Don, this is a really good thing too. I had, I had a great point to make. Maybe just to me, of course, but in my own mind. What were you just saying about the microphones and the? Um, that I used a pair of 58s on the toms doing that, and if it sounds good, go with it, which was what you were saying before we got into the whole microphone thing. Yeah, and, and, you know, we had a conversation about sample rates, you know, 47, 48, 44.1, or 48, or, you know, 96, all this stuff, you know. And, um, and, and he asked me, you know, what, what about sample rates? And I said, you know, I'm going to say something that you're just not going to, probably like he, he said what I said, he said what 44 one I said yeah you know not only 44 one but sometimes I go 16 bit on all the drums you know, I happen to like some of the crunches and wow. a lot of my friends you know convert to 16 bit or put a, a bit reducer on the drums so there's another little tidbit of people are you know may want to try you know it, it adds a little something you know just because it's not everything's got to be high fidelity I mean not everything has to be this perfect fidelity recordings you know and some of the biggest hits I had, people would, you know, you know, I did an interview in Mix Magazine many years ago, and I, and I think one of the questions was, what did you, you know, what did you put on the bass? And it was one of those 160X and one knob squeezer things, you know, like, what? I said, you know, it was a moved bass, and it sounded wicked, you know, it was distorted, I overloaded, and it sounded really cool, you know. Okay. <laughs> so what? <laughs> I read an article about Chris Lord Owls many years ago, it might have been Tom, but, uh, but he said, like, he used four compressors on some vocal or something. I'm like, that vocal sound is wicked. I'm like, wow, how did he ever do that? And it's like, to this day, I mean, I listen to some of his work and, you know, other guys. And I'm like, wow, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, you do the weirdest thing and it just sounds cool. Yeah. You know, no, there's no, you know, whether it's a 57 or a C12A, if it works for the song, if it sounds right with the kit, if it's the vibe, you know, I mean, if it sounds good, it's good. Go listen to Louis Louie or Crimson and Clover or some of those records, you know. Absolutely. There's magic there. And, and whatever mic they use, it, it, it's like, come on, man. That, that, that's, it's just so vibey. It sounds so cool. You know? Listen to the Motown stuff. It sounds like <laughs> crap, and it's magical at the same time. If you isolated every instrument, it would sound like crap. You put them we all together. We did a taxi thing. We did. We brought in the Motown Masters one year, and we played oh, Marvin yeah. Gaye, and we played some uh, some Bob Marley, and we played some Beatles and stuff. And you isolate, you hear the song, and it sounds amazing. Then you isolate the track, and it's like, you know, I asked anyone, how how many y'all would like auto tune that? You know, every hand goes up. Like you, your instinct is to make it perfect, but maybe, you know, just maybe, the imperfections, you know, are okay. You know. Yep. So well. Well, Interesting. Whoops. I, I've, 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 I
I've got to run because I actually have another meeting that started a minute ago on a Zoom somewhere. Oh, yes, the, the code. Okay, so move it more under your nose because it's cutting off because we're on split screen. Oh, come on. There, no, it is. They can't see. It's the word love. Love, love, love. Boom, boom, boom. So go to finalmix.biz, B-I-Z, finalmix.biz, not finalmix.com, because if you go there, you see Rob looking very dapper in his glasses and all that. Go to finalmix.biz, where he sells awesome plugins, which I've got on my DAW, and I love them. And uh, especially, um, well, I can't tell you what it, I think it's a clone of, because you, no. Anyway, there's an equalizer he's got in there that's got some red and blue stuff on it that I love. And I love the, the wet. Right, not a clone. I love the Westlake EQ. Um, also oh, yeah, sounds really good. But this is the M1 limiter light. So make right. sure when you go to checkout, okay, when you go to checkout, make sure you hit, you put this in the, the code box and hit apply code. You have to hit the button to apply the discount and it will say zero dollars and zero cents. Do not check out unless it's zero. Yeah. I'm giving it away for free, but if you forget to hit it, don't email and expect like someone's going to like take 15 minutes and generate a, a refund. Can't do it because I right. go crazy. <laughs> Please just take an extra moment. Make sure you hit the apply code button, and it'll be free. People and enjoy do it. Screw, no, the people do it. screw that up, and then they reach out to Taxi and say, "Can you guys get me a refund? I paid for it by mistake." And there's no way, I'm telling you now, there's no way I'm calling Rob and saying, oh, Rob, can't you please help this person out? Um, he, he's a busy guy. Uh, we're best friends and we barely talk. We see each other on 4th of July and New Year's Eve, and we live four yeah. houses from each other. Yeah, anyway. I mean, you know, the thing is cheap anyway. It's 19 bucks, but, you know, the idea is, you know, I'd like everybody to have it. It's free. You know, I'm just, I don't want to. I don't want to get on. I don't want to start issuing <laughs> refunds and spend my afternoon doing that. I'm just. No. I hope everybody you know under, understands that. But yeah, enjoy it. And oh, thank you, you know. Rob. Um, I appreciate you taking this time and coming back again today after yesterday's meltdown with all the tech stuff. I know. My pleasure. How unbelievably busy you are. Um, give my love to the fam. Both of my Thank daughters you. are going to be in town. One of them arrived today, and the other one is arriving Monday. So we're going to have both kids in town for an overlap of six days, and my mother-in-law is coming tonight. All right. Um, yeah, I hope you have an extra couch somewhere in your house. <laughs> now, she and I get along fine. It's just, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway. If you open up your window and you hear screaming, now we've never had a screaming fight, only passive aggressive arguments. Anyway, thank you, Rob. I will see Thanks, you soon. Michael. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for taking the time and adios, my friend. Bye bye. Thanks. And I will see you guys Thursday on Quarantini Happy Hour. Adios. Good night. The Fade.